today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. In other words, you need to know that the testing of your faith produces patience. That's how. That's how you are able to not lose heart or give in to despair because you know what God is doing and you know where this is going. You know what God is producing. And that's why knowing that you can count it all joy when you fall into various trials. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of 2 Corinthians. If you're having trouble counting it all joy as you go through trials, then you are not alone. How is that even possible? Well, in today's teaching, Pastor J.D. will go over the reasons why we shouldn't lose heart. Trials have a purpose and produce great fruit in our lives. Once you truly know that, then you have one more reason to hang in there. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of this broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now, here's Pastor J.D. with his continuing study, Don't Lose Heart. Today, our text will be chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and by the Holy Spirit says, verse 1, For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, verse 2, we groan. How many can bear witness with verse 2 here this morning? (laughs) We groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. Because when we are clothed, verse 3, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, and here it is again, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now, verse 5, the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and know (laughs) that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So today's teaching is going to be part two of a teaching I've titled, Don't Lose Heart. The beginning of this chapter is actually a continuation from the previous chapter. I think you know that in the original manuscripts there were no chapter breaks. They were added later. So it's really a continuation of the narrative from the previous chapter where the Apostle Paul is and has been encouraging the Corinthian Christians to not lose heart. and. I suppose you could say that the text before us, as was the case at the end of chapter 4, in a sense allows us a glimpse, a peek 
into Paul's heart to see why it is and how it is that in spite of all that the apostle went through, he didn't lose heart in his own life. He did not give in to despair. He did not let discouragement give way to despair. The first thing we see is in verse 1, and it's because we know that we'll have an eternal dwelling. Here, Paul says, again, key word here, we know that if our earthly tent is destroyed, we have a building from God. And it's a house not made with human hands. Rather, it's an eternal house in heaven. And if there was anybody that could speak to tents, using that as an illustration, it was the Apostle Paul, who himself was a tent maker. That's what he did for a living. I want to draw your attention to where Paul says, we know. Notice he doesn't say, we hope. Or he doesn't say, we trust, or even we believe. He says with a certainty, we know. This is a foregone conclusion. Now why is that important? Because this knowing, Paul saying we know, is why Paul could also say that all he went through was just light and momentary affliction. Remember that list we read? At, at the end of chapter 4, he refers to his light and momentary afflictions. And then later on in chapter 11, he lists in great and even graphic detail what those momentary light afflictions were. And I would venture to say that any of us here, were we to go through what he went through, I'm not so sure that we would have had done as well as the Apostle Paul. What was his secret? What was the Apostle Paul's secret, and why is it, and how is it that he could say that even though he went through these light and momentary afflictions, he didn't lose heart, because he knew. He knew something, and that something that he knew is what carried him through all that he went through. Charles Spurgeon of this said, many people are in a great fright about the future, yet here is Paul viewing the worst thing that could happen to him with such complacency that he likens it to nothing worse than the pulling down of the tent in which he was making shift to reside for a little season. He goes on to say, the righteous are put into their graves all weary and worn, but as such they will not rise. They go there with the furrowed brow, the hollowed cheek, the wrinkled skin. They shall wake up in beauty and glory. Paul knew that. Key word, he knew that. Listen to what the Apostle James wrote in his epistle in chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. You're familiar with this, but I want to draw your attention to something that is not so easily seen at first read. He says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Now, right there, I've got a huge problem. 
And so do you. So don't look at me all spiritual. I mean, how many of us, honestly, if we're honest with ourselves, can say that we count it all joy, joy, when we encounter various trials? We do not. It's almost cruel, isn't it? What's James saying here? He's saying it's possible to count it all joy when you're going through various trials. And verse 3 holds the key. Notice the word that's there. Knowing. There it is again. Knowing. In other words, you need to know that the testing of your faith produces patience. That's how. That's how you are able to not lose heart or give in to despair, because you know what God is doing, and you know where this is going. You know what God is producing. And that's why knowing that, you can count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Consider the words of the Savior Himself in the Gospel of John. Chapter 14, verses 1 through 4. Let me read it. Let not your heart be troubled, Jesus says. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, many dwelling places, as some of your translations render it. If it were not so, I would not have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And listen to verse 4. And where I go, you know, you know, and the way, you know, you know, that's how. Have you found yourself in the midst of the trial of your life. Truth be known, you're hanging on by a thread. Of course, you don't want anybody to know that. So you put on the Christian smile, Christian face. I do it too. I'm the pastor. I can't have problems, right? We pull up to church and We're hanging on by a thread. But we put on that smile as if everything is just fine. Why do we do that? Well, might I suggest that it's because sadly many a well-intentioned Christian has said something in response to that trial you're going through, suggesting that If you just had enough faith, there must be some deep sin in your life. Boy, that'll shut you down pretty quick. That'll put up the facade pretty quick. My wife and I, the early years of our marriage, were unable to have children. We tried for 10 years. And I tell you, going to church was really difficult. Because all of our friends were having babies left and right. <laughs> I mean, their husband just would walk by the wife and she'd get pregnant. <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, and here we are, and the doctors are telling us, you know, maybe you should adopt. We even tried adopting, and the birth mother, 15 years old, it was going to be an open adoption, everything was settled, and then she changed her mind, and 
wanted to keep her baby, and we released her from the adoption. But I had a friend, so-called, I mean, with friends like this, who needs enemies, right? Come up to me and say to me, you know, the reason that you cannot have children is because of sin in your life. I'm like, oh really? He even proceeded to tell me what the specific sin was in my life. And I tell you, you start questioning the goodness of God in moments like that that God is punishing you. And certainly in the Arab culture in the Middle East to this day, being barren, and we see it throughout Scripture as well, think Hannah, that being barren was seen as a curse from God. If a woman could not have children, she was cursed of God. An example was Michal, Saul's daughter, remember her? When David brings the ark to Jerusalem, and is dancing with all of his might before the Lord, only to come home to his wife, who just, I mean, ridicules him and excoriates him, and shame on you doing that. You know what her punishment was? She would be barren, have no children for the rest of her life. So I started thinking, wow, I'm cursed. I'm cursed. Another time, when our daughter Noelle died, I had a sister in Christ tell me that if I would have had enough faith, my daughter wouldn't have died. Now I'll tell you, (laughs) I had, and this was the Holy Spirit, because I could have very easily gotten in the flesh, but I didn't is one of those moments, I know you know what I'm talking about, because it's in that moment where you just say, Lord, what do I say? And the Lord gives you exactly what you're supposed to say. I said, Lord, I need to know what to say to this sister in Christ. And I responded this way. I said, you know, that is unbiblical. And I don't receive that. And I'll tell you why. First, the Apostle Paul prayed three times for the thorn in the flesh to be removed. And God did not grant him that. Are you telling me that the Apostle Paul didn't have enough faith? Are you kidding me? Well, if that's not good enough, how about this one? The Savior, Jesus the Christ, in the Garden of Gethsemane, is praying so intensely that he is perspiring his own blood Experts will tell you that in order to perspire your own blood, your body has to be in unspeakable distress. And that's what the Savior was in, in the Garden of Gethsemane, knowing, knowing what was ahead of him. And he prayed. Remember the prayer? Lord, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And so I said to her, as lovingly as I could, yet firmly, are you telling me that the Savior, if he would have had enough faith, would not have had to suffer and drink from that cup? And she said no more. And that was the end of that. Why do I share that? Because if you're here and you're really struggling, Don't rob us 
as your brothers and sisters in Christ, of the blessing that is ours, to bear your burdens, to weep with you when you weep, and to pray for you. You're robbing us of a great and grand blessing. That's what the body of Christ is to do. That's what a healthy body does, does it not? You know, when cancer cells grow in the body, it's because the cells in the body are not functioning correctly. And they start attacking each other. That's called cancer. And that'll destroy a body physically, just like it'll destroy a body of believers as well. That's what we're to be as brothers and sisters in Christ. We're to love one another as we love ourselves. Is that not the greatest of the commandments? To love our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, body, strength, all of our being, and to love our neighbor as we already love ourselves. I say it that way because I've actually heard it said, well, I need to love myself. That's why it's so hard to love my neighbor. (laughs) Stop. (laughs) You're killing me, man. You love yourself plenty. You love yourself. That's never a problem. And that's why Jesus said, love your neighbor as you're already loving yourself. Well, let's move on. The second reason we should never give in to despair. Never lose heart is because we are going to have eternal bodies. (laughs) This one's big for me, no pun intended, because this body (laughs) has got some miles on it. And every morning when I get up, especially on Sunday mornings at 4 a.m. when I get up, I groan. And it's getting worse, by the way. And when I see my face in the mirror, I groan even more, actually. But listen to what Paul says in verse 2. He tells them that in the meantime, as we wait and groan for our heavenly bodies, we earnestly desire to be clothed instead with our heavenly bodies. We're going to get a glorified, I cannot wait. I've already put my order in for my new body. You know, I, this one, I, when they were handing out shoulders, I must not have been there that day because I got no shoulders, I got no chin. I won't go into all the, you know, details, enough of my problems. I mean, I'm asking God for, I mean, I want to be buffed, man. I want to get, you know. My uh, 18-year-old son is a bodybuilder, and I mean, he is totally built, right? He can totally take me, and he knows it. In verse 3 he goes on to say that if indeed we are clothed with our heavenly bodies, we will not be found naked with disembodied spirits. That's what he's saying there, and he says that because that's what some in that day believed. And then in verse 4 he says, while we are in this tent, he says it for a second time, we groan and are burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, so that our death and mortality may be swallowed up by life in victory. What's Paul saying here? Well, it's very interesting, because what he's saying is echoing what he said in his first epistle, concerning the rapture, in the context of the rapture. Listen to what he says, chapter 15, verses 50 through 58. 
I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, speaking of death, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, oh death, I love Paul taunting death here. Where, oh death, is your victory? Where, oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Don't lose heart. Don't give in to despair. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because, you ready? Wait for it. You know, you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. That's why. It does me no good when somebody comes to me and says, hey, don't lose heart. You need to tell me why and how it is that I'm able to not lose heart. And that's what Paul is doing here. And this brings us to our third reason. It's because we possess the promise. And I'm going to add to that word promise, the guarantee. Strong word. Guarantee, and I'll explain why in just a moment. The guarantee of eternity. It is guaranteed. It is, as we say, a done deal. In verse 5, Paul says that it's God who has fashioned us for this purpose and given us the Spirit as, now listen to this, a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. An earnest deposit, if you will. And then in verse 6 he says, it's for this reason we're confident and know that as long as we're home in the body, we will be away from the Lord. And then in verses 7 and 8 he says, for now we live by faith, not by sight. And he says we're confident, yes, well pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. That's all we have time for today on In Spirit and Truth. If you'd like to listen to today's message, head to InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com and click on the Listen tab. You'll also have access to a number of other teachings by Pastor J.D., as well as his weekly Aloha Prophecy Updates. You can download our mobile app to take these teachings with you wherever you go. Learn more about In Spirit and Truth and Pastor J.D. at our website and also on Twitter. We'd love to have you join the conversation there. We'd also love to meet you in person as well and would like to invite you to join us for our weekly services here at Calvary Chapel Kaneohe. We gather each Sunday at 8.30 and 10.45 a.m. and also on Thursdays at 7 p.m. 
and you'll find more information at InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com. Just click on Calvary Chapel Kaneohe at the bottom of the page. Before we end today, Pastor J.D. has an encouraging word to share with you. It is such a blessing for me personally to be able to share God's Word with you on each edition of our In Spirit and Truth radio broadcast. Also, I'm so very thankful that you've tuned in to listen. The book of 2 Corinthians provides us a much-needed reminder of how divine power is realized in our human weakness. Sadly, though, this is not a popular topic today because, as one so aptly said it, the gospel does not ride on health and wealth, but on weakness. The ministry of the Spirit is not one of splash and flash, but of meekness and weakness. It's for this reason that 2 Corinthians has become one of my favorite books in the Bible. Not only does it provide us with the key to living victorious Christian lives, it also provides us practical application concerning how we treat other believers in our lives. It's my hope and prayer that you will be as encouraged and blessed by this book as I was. Thank you for listening, and I hope you'll tune in again for another edition of In Spirit and Truth Radio. 